we rolling? We are now rolling. Yes. Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. <laughs> me, 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 me. Okay, anytime. Hey, what's up, listeners? It's Matt Waterworth. It's been a heck of a week. I've been super sick. Uh, Full Swing Productions has got one hell of a week coming up. Um, but I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to have you go without uh, an episode, a fresh episode of the podcast. Um, so I'm going to condense things a little bit. want to get this episode out. But uh, I'm going to just jump right into some of the news and deadlines. And uh, gonna then we're going to jump into a, a podcast with, uh, with the incomparable Alex Mitchell. Firstly, though, uh, the FAVAFest deadline has been extended. You have uh, until February 1st to get your application in. Go to fava.ca for more information on that. Don't forget, FAVA's got a ton of classes, uh, and free-for-all workshop and editing, uh, and a bunch of uh, winter 2016 stuff coming up that you can also check out uh, on fava.ca. Hey, you got to keep in mind the Telephone Microbudget Program is coming. Uh, I don't believe official um, uh, info is out just yet, but... Um, you should take a look. Make sure you've got your application ready. Hey, Edmontonians, a bunch of you were nominated uh, or shortlisted, I should say, for the Edmonton Film Prize. Congratulations to friend of the podcast, previous guest, Adam Scorgi, for his film The Culture High, uh, Trevor Anderson, Ava Colmers, Blake McWilliam, Mike Seek, and Eden Monroe, as well as Neobe Thompson. Sorry if I got any of your names wrong, but congratulations to all of you six shortlisted for the Edmonton Film Prize. You got to go uh, see who gets that uh, on January 12th. Um, you're going to be able to uh, get some appetizers and a cash bar. And uh, the Edmonton Film Prize is a $10,000 annual cash prize to recognize Edmonton-based filmmakers who demonstrate artistic and technical excellence as a filmmaker. And the award is sponsored by the City of Edmonton through the Edmonton Arts Council. Um, you can check out, uh, just search Facebook for Edmonton F- Music and Film Prizes, and you'll find the, uh, the event uh, right there. We've also got some news in the Ampia world. Uh, Ampia's got a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, the professional development season is coming up, and you don't want to forget about uh, the Story Summit, the new conference that Ampia's been putting together happening in Banff, then there's going to be Input 2016 here in Calgary, and March Madness uh, is also going to be happening. So you're going to want to check out um, Ampia's website uh, for more information on that, and that's ampia.org, and you can check out storysummit.ca for more information on the Story Summit, uh, as well as input-tv.org slash home for more info on that. Ampia's also putting on their uh, wonderful workshop called uh, the Upstart Program. And uh, you can check out ampia.org slash training slash upstart for more information on that. And uh, if I sound sick, it's because I am. The Rosies are uh, coming up. Uh, the call for submissions so is, understand that, um, is still happening. Very interesting and um, I'm having a technical issue. But you know what? I don't really have time to figure it out right now. So I'm just going to keep rolling and power through it. Um, the, uh, the Rosies are coming up. Deadline, Wednesday, January 20th. Uh, so you want to get your applications in for that as soon as you possibly can. This year, the Rosies are going to be taking place in Calgary at the Hyatt Regency Imperial Ballroom on Saturday, March 7th, 2016. You also want to be a member of that uh, organization so you can save some money on some of your application fees and all that good stuff. Lastly, I wanted to mention uh, that the Calgary Underground, uh, sorry, the Calgary International Film Festival has their uh, Doc Soup coming up. Um, they do a monthly documentary screening, uh, and this uh, uh, February 3rd uh, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Eau Claire in Calgary, it's going to be a documentary called The Fear of 13, which seems pretty cool. Uh, you can check out uh, their website for more information on that. And, of course, uh, Canada's top 10 film festival tickets are on sale from February 4th to 7th at the Globe Cinema. Um, the SIF Audience Award-winning documentary Guantanamo's Child and the Calgary premiere of the critically acclaimed Quebecois The Demons, uh, the Canada's top 10 film festival lineup has been announced. Uh, the festival will run uh, from 4th to 7th, as I said, and tickets are now on sale. You can find those at calgaryfilm.com. Uh, don't forget as well, the uh, 
<laughs> sounds really cool. The Oscar event that the Calgary International Film Festival puts on Sunday, February 28th, 5 p.m. And uh, you're going to want to dress up and check that out. Um, next up, we've got our wonderful guest, Alex Mitchell. Alex is a great guy to talk to. And uh, we had a really fun, inspiring, interesting chat with him. And uh, yeah, put on your, uh, your listening cap because uh, he drops a lot of cool tidbits about sound uh, and filmmaking and some of his own personal um, values and uh, directions. So it's really worth a listen. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks for being on the show, Alex. See you soon. All right. So I'm rolling, and I understand that um, thanks to social media, you had a very interesting date recently. Oh, oh my God. Dude. Seriously. <laughs> I didn't hear about this. Oh, my God. Dish. So, all right. Um, actually, and I brought it with me. I'm trying to do this, like, 52-week, like, project for photography. And so I was out doing... Um, borealis photography okay and uh you know i brought someone with me it was like kind of a date thing right and you know i'm like listening to some music on the way back and i turn to them and i'm like holy shit and, you know like okay this this music's kind of weird this playlist wasn't exactly built by me if something strange comes on like don't judge me too hard right, right. And then i hear them gasp and i look and there's like a deer like right over the cusp of this highway oh. um and like i can't swerve because there's someone in my blind spot behind me i can't break super hard because there's like ice all over the road and yeah so i wound up like hitting this deer oh my <laughs> god like first oh man and uh god yeah like the car's okay there's like a bit of a dent in the hood oh wow the deer cool. like ran off but they oh. ran off if like all of their bones are broken it's true they'll run off and die somewhere else exactly yeah. yeah and then i was talking to one of my like agrologist friends and she was like oh well as long as it like stays in the ecosystem you probably made a family of coyotes really happy and it's not like we're short on deer they're rats with hooves this like, is true yeah, yeah. yeah. that's, that's, that's a good point for yeah sure. so that's too know. bad so have has there been a second date or does that kind of hit uh, not yet. Not yet. We're, you know what? Prospects, though, maybe? I'm going right. to... Still possible. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I'm going to let everything marinate. Sure. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, fair how that goes. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, like we said before we started rolling, you are our, our first technician. Which uh, I am tremendously honored yeah, to be and, on the show as and, a technician. And sorry it's taken so long because uh, I know you were interested right, right when we started. So, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, for, for listeners to recognize that, like we said in our first episode, filmmaking... Although Alex is, of course, a filmmaker as well, a director, and, and he mm -hmm. makes his own shorts and stuff. Um, any Anything that you do on a set is filmmaking. And we want to definitely be getting more technicians on and, and uh, talking about their craft and, and some hard facts and some soft skills. Well, and we really appreciate and, it because, you know, like there's a lot of times where, um, and of course not to be dismissive, but there's like the cult of personality that sounds or surrounds a couple of positions on set. And I mean, of course, they're like the sexy romantic positions. Right. Like, um, the director, the director, yeah. the director of photography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, to a certain extent, the writer. Although I'm sure if you actually talk to writers, they'll be like, they won't oh feel God, that way. Shit on <laughs> no, day day. yeah. And I guess, sorry, I should, I should uh, disclaim because I don't know what you guys have like as a rating on the iTunes store, but mm -hmm. I'll try to curb my swearings. No, 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 yeah, no, no, don't, no don't worry about it. Okay, yeah, yeah, if cool. you listen to the Adam Scorgi yeah. episode, yeah. he <laughs> it was like, yeah. was he was he the guy that did like the pot documentary? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. He, I really liked his. Actually. Yeah, yeah, he did amazing interview. He cussed a lot though. He did. He cussed. He's passionate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was just shortlisted for the Edmonton Film Prize like five minutes ago this news came out that Damn, man. oh wow yeah. you are cutting edge on this yeah. Man. yeah he seems like he's really on top of things yeah yeah, yeah. he's for that guy mm -hmm. he's one of those guys that's just kind of you can just sort of feel that manic energy mm -hmm. around him um, but it works for him really well and he's definitely yeah. seems well, like he's yeah, got a shit together you know it's like um, he was talking a lot about you know working days and nights after like raising his kid and going to work and yeah, all that yeah. other kind of stuff and yeah like there's tons of smart guys out there there's tons of like talented guys out there but there's not a whole lot of guys that have that kind of drive like that's bust their ass exactly yeah, yeah for sure so you can bust your yeah. hump you know it's like yeah be okay it's tough it's tough so what so speaking of which what motivates you where do you get your motivation from oh god i don't know <laughs> pretentious desire to be the smartest guy in the room okay okay <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know i just like i really love geeking out and like there's so much stuff to geek out about it yes for sure yes. oh my god everything is cool and everything is changing so fast mm -hmm. i don't know there's so much stuff that like um and that, like everyone talks about how it's democratized now but like really super seriously if you went back 100 years and showed everyone what we can do like i've got this really cool dslr with me mm -hmm. and if i just hook it up to my phone i can upload photos from virtually anywhere on the planet that i have like cell phone access right, and right. to me that still kind of blows my mind I, I agree uh, yeah there's some sd cards that are that have wi-fi and yeah, you just post instagram from you know it's crazy i was yeah. uh i was just in vietnam uh yeah. a couple months ago and i was at this tomb of an emperor who died in like the 1800s 
standards. And it's this tomb was like straight out of Skyrim. Like if you played Skyrim, it was like, <laughs> like a thousand stairs, and it was like this like in the middle of the jungle. Mm-hmm. And I had cell service, oh so I FaceTimed God. with my mom, crazy from this the middle of the jungle of Vietnam. And it's like, look where I am. <laughs> And I, I, like it was like the middle of the night for her, and yeah. but I didn't care. I was like, I can oh, do this, so I'm gonna freaking do it. Must do it. Yeah, yeah it was I, awesome. I Facetimed from the top of Sulphur Mountain too. It wasn't great, but it was possible. That's, I mean, that's a cool story, man. I didn't want up you on that because we recorded on we recorded on tape back in the day, right. and then we recorded in nonlinear storage, like cards and whatever. Yeah. And I always thought the next push would be to record directly to the cloud. I always right. thought that that would mm. be a thing that at the very least sound mixers would get into right, because right, right. Our, our data needs are much smaller. Sure. Um, and there is a little bit of a push for that. And I just, I think it's going to be so much more helpful for post-production. Yeah. But we're going to have to see how it goes. Well, because it's like, all right, as it stands right now, I have to give my cards to another guy who has to sync it up in post-production and then like render it into dailies and then they start editing with that if they're doing an offline editorial or whatever. Um, but if I had, like for instance, the original specs for the recorder that I used, this XCOM Nomad, used to have like a USB Wi-Fi modem in it oh, wow. that you could plug oh, into cool. the side and it would hook up to your cell phone hmm. and you could record MP3 proxies to Dropbox or whatever. Nice. And then editorial could take that and they could um, transcribe it, they could sync it up because it was time code jammed so i don't know i always thought that was like a really cool option to have yeah and maybe someday that'll be a thing once it's like ubiquitous and once like data caps come down like maybe that's the thing too it must have crushed your cell phone bill right exactly it probably would yeah. have i i haven't done it because they've it's like every other manufacturer these days they promise all these specifications and then maybe they deliver it eventually all right yeah. like maybe it's like a firmware update seven years down the line right right yeah. and by then who cares right there's yeah. some interesting implications for a scenario where you're shooting let's say a, a show in a studio where mm-hmm. the the editor is in the same building mm-hmm. and you're all uploading to the same server live like imagine footage hitting the server and the editor could be editing while the same <laughs> scenes being shot like the scene is actually mm, cut yeah. five minutes after yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah well and i did a i was a dit on a feature in edmonton and uh yeah our editor was in like the next room over and so right. at the end of the day i would just drop off the drives and right. she would be cutting like during like it was bridget durnford like right, she's right. always cutting yeah so, right. <laughs> um i drop off footage and then the next day like i'd get the drives back and she would already probably have like the day's work cut right which to me is insane but hey it's that's awesome that we have that capacity now yeah so yeah wow so i, I, I we usually kind of start from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And I think my first awareness of you was around um, right out of Sate, maybe? Yeah, which year did you graduate? So I was 06, and 06. I believe you got right. We were 08, so we like just missed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and God, I want to say I came out on hardwood first. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then. But uh, I also knew you through Cameron McGowan, and you had won the Ampi Award. I think the first year oh, I was kind of out of school, you yeah, won yeah. the best student production. Oh, yeah, because I was. Um, uh, so I went to SATE, yeah, mm-hmm. and then I did the 2 plus 2 program over at the UC. Right, right. And the year that I was in competition for like the Student Filmmaker Award, because I made um, my student film as part of like the comms 581 or whatever right. it is that's with um, uh, Shane. Okay. Oh, wait, okay. hold on, not Shane. Who's the other guy? Steve, Steve Olson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess we were in competition with each other in spite of the fact that like I was at the UC at the time and you guys were at State. So right. I can't remember yeah, yeah, what it yeah. was. But you guys had that cool documentary about gamers or uh, was, it was stuff. it was uh, the hair one. It wasn't we weren't I don't think either of us the were comb involved, over. the comb over and the mustache. It was about. Yeah, that was the year before yeah. us. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, that wasn't us. The that comb was, over. Yeah, that, right. that was even that wasn't even our Actually, class. No, our doc was about was about God. Um, okay. And it was a pretty right, heavy right, subject right. matter. And oh. Steve Caggerini produced it, right? Yeah, and Megan Green directed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slapchop produced it? Slapchop. Slapchop. <laughs> He's actually probably not going to be super happy that I <laughs> Because that's like, his, that's like his union name. Like, yeah. you know, oh, really? It gives you like a nickname. Right, right. Yeah. He's called Slapchop. Slapchop. I can't remember. It's because he like slices great. or dices or something. I'm going to stop talking about this. I shouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll have him on and he'll call you yeah. a name. I'm sure. Or Steve oh, Cage, tweet us. Tell us why you're called Slapchop. Um, but that 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 short is really interesting to me. Oh, the concept you. has always been interesting to me, and I've thought about doing one before and being like, oh, "Well, I should probably check in with Alex, and make sure he's cool." If I kind of did Steal something idea. the same, yeah, because <laughs> it's it's about eugenics, right? Yeah, yeah where did that come from? Um, uh, I really loved Half Life Two, mm. which is like uh, they're very interesting games from a narrative perspective in the way that they show rather than telling a right. lot of the the things that happen. Because I mean, you just show up, you're Gordon Freeman, you get pulled out of cryostasis or wherever, and you get plopped 
down into the middle of City 17. And as you progress through the game, you start to find out all the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a bunch of the side documents and everything else. Like, you know, they'd open up portals and were sucking all the nutrients out of the ocean water, whatever. And uh, dystopian fiction's always been really interesting. And the implications of like really basic things that we take for granted being taken away, like that's always really interesting too. And um, one of like the thread points in the game series was that they'd set up these towers that were broadcasting this frequency or whatever that was like uh, blocking the formation of certain amino acids and proteins or whatever that are essential to embryonic growth. Okay. I'm in the middle of blowing like, up those towers right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's like in episode one, I think, where that happens. Yeah. Anyway, and it was just so. I remember being like so floored by that concept. I mean, hmm. like, holy crap! Like what? Because it's like children of men. Like, what do we do when we're the last ones? Because, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. always that thing where it's like, you got to keep going. There's some, like, immutable importance to, like, the continuing the thread of humanity. Yeah. And when that's, like, controlled and what's marshaled, there's a lot of problematic stuff that comes out of it. Because, I mean, there will always be some article about how some delinquent parent leaves their baby in a car or whatever. And everyone's like, they shouldn't have kids. We should have, like, a license for stuff like that. And um, it was something we covered a lot in, like, a uh, philosophy course that I was right, taking. Right, right. And in, in some ways, I'm like, okay, this argument makes sense at face value. But then you look at how a lot of like sensible arguments get applied in like everyday culture. And yeah, like it turns problematic very quickly. Yeah, yeah I think so. yeah, for sure. And that's, that's usually the things about those philosophical arguments is sometimes scientifically they will make sense mm -hmm. if we were all ants. Mm -hmm. Right. But as soon as you actually introduce the human element into it, it it kind of fucks it all up. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, like history is, well, I mean, the the phrase is that the road to hell is paved with good. Sure, exactly. Right? Yeah. right. You know, but like, and it's a thread that's traveled through humanity for a long time. Like one of the original five, like one of the reasons I called the lead character in that film Nelly was because one of like the, the famous five, the women that were like fighting for the right for women's suffrage or whatever, um, or not whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one of them was like a huge proponent of eugenics and like Alberta's one of the only places in like the Western Hemisphere where this happened yeah. bc had like a mild eugenics program or whatever but i don't think wow. it ever really did much but we only ended this in like 76 like right. it went yeah. on for many years yeah. and we sterilized a lot of people against right. their will so but yeah i just like i like moral dilemmas i'm yeah. sort of yeah. like a huge devil's advocate guy i kind of like getting into arguments for fun it's like sparring sure almost. yeah yeah and uh i kind of like that as like a filmmaking practice because cool. there's there's two sides to every debate yeah. and yeah. um no good villain thinks they're a villain definitely usually and so it's like fun to write um, stuff that you can uh, you can at least see why someone would believe that, even mm -hmm. if you don't believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a great short, and I really like the you mentioned uh, that you wanted to show not tell. And there's, I mean, there's a fine line sometimes where you don't want to hide too much from an audience, but you also didn't open the short with like like three cards saying like in in the year 2018 where. <laughs> Which was great. And then we learned slowly through interviews because it's kind of a mockumentary style, um, though not at all funny. It was it was it's a great short. Thanks. And then we learned those pieces of information uh, along the way. It was very it was very pro. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I uh, I was a huge well was I am a huge Errol Morris fan. I mm. think he's one of the most interesting directors to watch because like standard operating procedure is this tremendous mix of great interviews, really good cutting great b-roll like he really sets up a tone like fog of war is amazing yeah too. and just the stuff he does with the imagery in conjunction with the music in conjunction with the things he gets people to talk about yeah like yeah. holy crap and his whole like intertron yeah 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 Terratron. Terratron. there right. we go thank yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah like spencer Esterbrooks is doing that right now yeah. with oh is he oh cool. yeah he's got a cool setup like that's that. great and uh it's something i really wanted to do and mm -hmm. because i went to the UFC and did that course with Lane Cranenberg, who was in the TV program. He was like one of the professors and okay. he wanted to get his degree in communications. Right. And so he let me use the TV studios to do those portions. Of oh, it. sweet. I actually wow. had it set up with like, amazing. That's through awesome. The yeah, yeah, yeah. So right that's yeah. cool. But yeah, so that's, that's where that came from. I love children of men. I loved Errol Morris documentaries. And I was like, oh my God, like if you combine these two things, they make something really cool. So it's, it's something interesting too, about just storytelling and, and trickling out information. And I think that's probably the hardest line to walk as a screenwriter is what do you tell? What do you show and when? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, not a screenwriters will tend to tell too much right off the bat when you don't really need to know. Mm -hmm. But especially if you've written the script for two years and you're on your fifth draft, you've forgotten what people don't know about exactly. it going in, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a really that's a that's a trick and, and uh, yeah, a tough a, one to pull off. Yeah, totally. Well, and I'm I'm writing something right now, and I just got notes back from my story editor being like, okay, you didn't flesh out the mythology enough in 
the actual script. And in my head, I'm like, oh, but everything seems so clear so to obvious. me. So obvious, yeah, I said and, this word once. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, to me, it's already really long because I mean, everyone tells you, you gotta kill your babies. You gotta make sure you cut the, the weed from the chaff. And um, like, it's it's already long. So I'm like, holy crap, this is gonna be even longer. Yeah. But uh, I guess it just comes down to finding ways to make visual cues, finding ways to sort of like reference it without obliquely doing Because I mean, everyone's gonna really hate me for mentioning this, but I thought Star Wars Episode Seven was the worst for this. Whoa, really? Seriously. Like, you know, any of the parts that had Leia talking to Han, mm -hmm. and they were just like, oh. Ever I since our son left. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I guess we're um, we're totally spoiling this for anyone well, that's like watching yeah, us. Yeah, spoil the ultimate spoil. Okay, right. all right. So anyway, if you watch Star Wars, like, just turn this off or have not. If you have <laughs> just stop listening. Um, but yeah, like anytime they have a scene together, literally all they're doing is vomiting exposition out of the audience. They're just telling us all this it's, stuff that happened, and it's so awkward. Like, it's true. Oh, it's, it's true. So it, and it is kind of a shame that you know we get those characters back, and and unfortunately, there's just no time really to serve because there are three other main characters. Mm -hmm. that, and I think that that's the balance that Star Wars has to deal with, which is being a movie for kids. Mm. Well, and also right. trying to. Cram all of all those plot threads yeah, into for sure. two, like what was it? Two hours, ten minutes, or something? It was a really it was short and movie, sixteen yeah. minutes. Yeah, and it yeah. was. Um, and I don't think you you go five minutes without an action sequence either. Mm -hmm. And that's always been the Star Wars challenge, right? Like, I mean, uh, George Lucas today still defends Jar Jar Binks because it brought in a new audience of fan maybe Kids? maybe not yeah, yeah well that's what he says and I mean, then it's like the clone wars me right like people have completely forgotten about those movies but they love the minions yeah right? exactly yeah, that's right. true yeah. who am i to say that they shouldn't be making money off something that's like a cliche and that annoys the hell out of an adult, right <laughs> right you know? and i mean that's that's the part of the thing about filmmaking too like um and i guess as a technician this is always a really hard discussion to have because in spite of the fact that we all love it and we couldn't do anything else with our lives and like we're completely dedicated to it, we do have to make a living. Right. Yeah, that's and the thing. Yeah, that's always a really hard conversation for me to have. Right. Well, that's let's the, have it. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, I was prepared to come Let, and talk well, about this okay. well, because it's a very difficult conversation. For sure. And I, re I remember, and you, I mean, you've come such a long way in the sound side of your career. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but I remember when you were trying to get into the union and the challenge oh, was I'm just still that. Trying yeah and, and the challenge yeah. is that there's just not enough work right there are a couple of sound guys who have positioned themselves and and they've been there they're they're, they're it's, veterans it's actually even slightly more complicated than that yeah, okay yeah because okay all right now if we're going to look specifically about this particular issue the sound department is very difficult to get in and it's because every single position in that department is a key position right like if any one person is off their game you don't get good sound right whereas in like okay you know lamp ops should all be good and i'm not trying to disparage the lighting department here and saying that anyone's not important. Right. But there's a lot of people in that department that can pick up slack if it gets left. Sure. Whereas if the boom op is off, the microphone's not in the right place. You can't hear people properly. If the mix is off, like it's too low, you get the noise floor creeping up or maybe things aren't multi-tracked properly. Maybe the metadata is off. Maybe the time code's off, whatever. Right, right. If you've got a third that's not doing their job, the lavaliers aren't going to be placed properly. Maybe the actors are pissed off at them because they're messing around too much. All sorts of things can go wrong. Yeah. And so every time a sound mixer picks a crew, they're picking the most critical people that they know. They want to know someone that's going to deliver consistent results. They want to know someone that has like a good personality. Mm -hmm. And if you're an unknown quantity, you will not get work. Mm -hmm. That's just how it goes. And for, so, for kind of new listeners or new filmmakers, um, it's important to understand how, how important sound is to a movie. And, and everyone will joke that it's always the sound guys harping on this, but it's absolutely true. Just think about any movie theater you've been in. And if you've seen a movie where the picture is just a little bit off or there's a bug on the lens, or whatever that might be, you'll sit through it. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting in a movie theater and the sound is bad or the sound cuts out, even for 60 seconds, mm -hmm. people walk out. Yeah. Oh, right. and like, you know, it's the weirdest thing too. And it, it changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I was just watching It Follows again, which, you know, oh. for the audience out there is probably my favorite Amazing. film in 2015. It's Amazing so movie, good. Yeah. Um, but I was even noticing that the mix between what I heard in the theater and what I heard in the home theater was very different. Oh, really? It was really mixed differently. And it really took me out of it that the voices were sort of like muddied in with the music. Like hmm. it's all these little yeah. things yeah, that yeah, take yeah. you out of it. Hmm. So then like, it's all, it's all part of the process. And actually sure. like a really cool video to watch about sound is if you guys um hateful eights in theaters right now mm -hmm. and the mixer who mixed that is mark Yolano, and he i would say is at the very least as much of an artist if not more so than anyone else on that set because right. a lot of the mix he performs on set and he calls himself a production sound mixer not a recordist 
not like a location sound or like whatever nice, yeah. he's a production sound recorder because okay. he has a musical background and mm. so he's constantly mixing sources from people and those mixes get used in post-production what you Live. hear in the theater wow. a lot of the time wow. is what he recorded on the day and of course there's going to be a little tweak sure it's like focus polling right it's kind of that same exactly. thing right yeah. yeah yeah and i mean like maybe a litro camera or a field uh, like field camera is going to come at some point or another and we'll be able to adjust focus and post the way that we adjust audio and post. Right, right, right. But um, he's a big believer in getting it right on the day. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, like, anyway, sound is sound is an artistic yes, yeah. component Certainly. of the filmmaking. So and we had Dan uh, Dumichel on uh, and I, yes, asked, I asked him. I know, I, I and to ask, So to ask a cinematographer, what do you think is the, the most important part of filmmaking? And for, for him to say sound was very, very telling. telling for sure. I know. I sent him a message. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thanks, thanks man. dude. That's like really <laughs> sweetie to say. Because, yeah, I know. Like, a lot of a lot of productions are fraught with issues regarding it's sound. And it's something that you just cannot fix in post. And it's going to drive you crazy. There sometimes, are yeah. some things that you just can't fix. I mean, at, at a certain point, you can fix it by just throwing it out and recording something sure. new. Like, ADR. Like, you look at the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I think something like 83% of it is ADR. I think it's 90%. I think because I heard the stat recently. Very it's very high. It's yeah. a ridiculous yeah. amount. And so, it's possible to get done. Because if you told someone that, they'd probably be like, oh my god, I can't believe they replaced all that audio. It just seems so natural. What's the point of even having a microphone on set? And see, this <laughs> yeah. is this is a conversation people have. Right. Um, but to quote another phrase, it's penny wise and pound foolish. Because in addition to the fact that I'm there on the day anyway, and we're probably going to try to at least get usable audio, you're going to have to hire a re-recording mixer. You're going to have to pay for the actors to come into the ADR or session. You're going to have to pay the guy to like make it actually sound like it's in the scene mm -hmm. it's a lot of extra work totally right um and the thing i always tell people when they want to get good sound is the most important thing besides <laughs> getting a good sound mixer i don't want to <laughs> but um like a good location is like the most critical thing mm -hmm. oh my god and like people always skimp on location it's yeah. always like their cousin's friend's uncle's house by the highway yeah. yeah by yeah. the highway right by the airport you know yeah, yeah. That's and a good tip. And it's like a it's like a bar, and they can't like turn off any of the fans, right. or it's or like the, a or the fridges, or yeah. yeah. And like it's it's working. Oh my god, we're in here, and no, of course we can't turn off the mm -hmm. TVs. The patrons really want to watch the game, right? So right, like, right. and this this literally happened. This was like the first feature. Oh, sorry, second feature I ever mixed where we showed up and we had to shoot in a bar and they wouldn't turn off the TVs. It was like a working bar and they wanted to shoot wides. And I was just like, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are going to get what you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's, like, and it's true. It's, it's something important to remember to bring in your sound mixer early. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to forget, honestly, because if you're, you never hear of a director that thinks orally right au mm -hmm. orally mm -hmm. they're, they're always visual directors or their performance directors or storytelling yeah. directors so they'll be like i love this i love this location mm -hmm. or the producer goes yeah we can't really afford anything better so yeah right it. right but it's and important I mean, to consider I, absolutely and i actually i don't okay and people are going to crucify me for saying this but i don't usually come on a lot of location scouts because like what am i going to say mm -hmm. you know i'm going to say like do you guys hear that noise that's <laughs> like a noise right, like we right. don't want that noise and i mean it's it's super basic stuff right everyone has ears yeah. it's way easier i think than doing like a location scout for camera because like to have a visual perspective on something is uh, like you know, everyone's got their unique take on it, right? But for me, it's like you walk into a room and you can hear stuff, right? You know, if you mm -hmm. hear something, it's bad. Right. That's right. the only metric. Yeah. No, and that's true. So, that's something that. But yeah. it is it is important, I think, to to talk about it in in pre production. I totally uh, agree. Just because maybe you know, it's a lot easier to to get a location owner mm -hmm. on board uh, a couple of weeks in advance as opposed to on the day trying mm -hmm. to shut off all the yeah, fridges. Or, yeah, I mean, it's just again, a lot of times I get brought out on location scouts, and I feel like the the impetus behind it is they're looking for me to vet the location so that they can wash their hands of responsibility. Right. right. And I'm like, they don't want I'm, you to say no. They exactly. want you to say yes. Yeah. You know, they want me to tell them what they want to hear as mm -hmm. opposed to what I'm going to say. Right. And like almost literally every location I walk into, I'm like, this is problematic from a sound perspective. Right, like right. you're going to have yeah. issues. I mean, if you want to get the sound mixer involved right away, the other thing you have to do is you have to involve the post-production sound mixer. These are like critical mm. components mm -hmm. of the process. And usually a good idea is for like the production sound mixer and the post production sound mixer to sit down and work through the script and say okay this is going to be a problem or this is something i can get on the day that's really going to help you in post or like all this other stuff mm -hmm. like for instance one of the things 
and this always blows people's mind when I tell this, but like a lot of movies in Tarantino mo- or a lot of music in Tarantino movies is diegetic. Like it's actually happening in the scene. Wow. And they'll almost shoot it like a music video where they have like playback time code and they like act to beats in the songs. Wow. And they'll record it on the day and obviously like they find ways to filter it out and then replace it with actual like proper right. music. Huh. But yeah, like... And that's the kind of level of involvement that you need from a mixer and a post-production mixer mm-hmm. to know that everyone's on the same page. Because how do you do that? If the music is going to be crazy, do you have the thump track? Do you record it live on the day? Do I like run a feed from whatever is doing playback to my mixer and record it along with all the other production sound? Like these are complicated questions, with right, complicated right, right, answers yeah. that affect everything, including budget, time, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it brings up that other another element of using every single tool at your disposal to tell your story, right? And and a scene without sound can be wonderful and if you're using sound as as part of your a tool in your arsenal i mean that's you're just going to be telling a better story and and it brings me back to fargo season two Mm -hmm. where there's a a scene and two characters are sitting on a bus and they're having a conversation but neither of them are talking Hmm. so it's you can tell it was a conversation that previously happened but now you're seeing them kind of stewing on the conversation as it mm. happened. So it was just like just using sound in a great way to tell that story and just get me more emotionally invested. I agree. Yeah. Not every not every conversation needs to sound like it's coming straight from the center channel and it was a completely right. quiet set right. and I got the microphone right in there. It can be whatever. As long as it as long as it sounds like it looks and as long as it's the intent of the director right. for it to be like yeah. that. So. For sure. So yeah. so you're definitely a storyteller at heart. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. when when we know this and we know how hard it is to get into the sound industry, why? Um, what happened to you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is this is a tremendous question. So I come from a very practical background. My family's all like engineers and accountants, and their concern when I was going to film school was how are you going to make a life out of this? And obviously there is more supply than demand on the creative side this is a problem that's been true since time immemorial For sure, sure. and um i went to sate and i didn't want to do the director producer stream and i already knew a bunch of the editing stream so i went into craft tech and i didn't actually learn a lick of sound it was just one really? of those things where i was like maybe i want to get into camera because cameras are cool and sexy cool. and everyone likes camera yeah, yeah. um but i'd picked up some audio gear because i was shooting my own stuff and i was tired of renting it and i figured i did the math and over a certain period of time it paid for itself to right. own it sure and then everyone was like oh alex owns you sound, have gear. sound gear he can come and mix our thing <laughs> right and uh your first guest on the show spencer Rust brooks actually i credit with starting my sound career because i mixed dead walkers and it was like the oh my god it was so i cut every corner and like i didn't i didn't know any better so we i got like as much gear as i could i recorded onto i think my laptop or whatever and we just like did the old dummy slate thing and i rented some other gear from like um Oh my god, it was Long McQuaid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like for whatever reason, it still worked. Like it was just good enough for Bo Shaminsky, who is the post-production sound mixer, to do an amazing job, which he always does. And I got an Ampia nomination for it. Wow. I should say Bo got an Ampia nomination mm-hmm. for it. Because I like, Bo's gotten so many Ampia nominations. Right. Virtually anything he mixes gets an Ampia nomination. Right. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. And then everyone was just like, oh, we'll get Alex to do it. And I just became like the default indie mm-hmm. sound mixer. Right. And I do right. love it. I love yeah. I love a lot about it because it's sort of like, do you guys know a lot of people in bands? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like the bassist or the drummer are not the super famous front guys for sure. Most of the time, the time. there is like Neil Pert and like a couple sure. other guys yeah. who are like huge deals, but most of the time they're in the background Yeah. and you don't really think about them, but they are completely necessary. If the drummer's off or the bassist is off, like everything yeah. is off, mm-hmm. but they don't get the chicks, you know, <laughs> they're in like, they're in their hotel room, like either practicing or like Facebooking or whatever. And everyone else is like getting completely pie faced after mm-hmm. the show or whatever. And I've always kind of drifted towards those jobs, like being a dip, being a sound mixer, like just fixing mm-hmm. problems. So, um, yeah, I just, oh, I love that kind of stuff. I don't know what it is about it, but it's just really special. So was where you were going with the with the, the family being interested oh, in? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, like it's, I love making films and I know that I can't make films all the time. And unless you get to a certain, like, unless you breach a threshold, like critical mass of like creative output, you will not make money. 
Um, and I didn't get in this to make money because right. obviously, like, there is so little money unless you were like the top 1% sure. of 1%. Yeah. Right. Um, but people always need technicians. They always need someone to help them achieve the goals that they're trying to go for. And a location sound recorder is someone that you have to have a lot of trust in, that has to specialize, that has to own their own gear. And it's sort of like it hits every one of the things that I love to do. It's one of those things where um, because not a lot of people want to think about sound, I sort of have a lot of freedom to experiment and to improvise. Um, because I have to own my own kit, it sort of has like this RPG feel to it where it's like... I'm Leveling up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I earn experience, aka money, money to yeah. buy more gear, to level up, to buy to more be able gear, to, earn more, to do yeah. better work, right? right? right. And um, also, I get to see how... Like, I get to interact with every department. If a ballast on set is bugging me, I have to know what the deal is and I have to talk to the lighting department. Yeah. Uh, I have to constantly keep up to date with like camera department stuff because... Uh, you know, if like the sensor size changed, then the field of view from the lenses changes, and I need to know where that is because wow. I need to boom properly. Yeah. Um, if I need to feed time code to camera, I need to know the menus and whether or not there's actually time code input. I have to know post production because you know actually syncing all this stuff is really critical, and also just how to work with the files and what I can get away with on set and what I can't. Right. So, um, like I love every single part of filmmaking virtually, except for like the paperwork side. No right. one likes the paperwork side. Right. And because I'm a sound mixer, I get to do every single cool thing. So yeah, I don't know. And that's that's great. That's, that's practical that's for nice me. Perspective. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I think that's a lot of filmmaking too. I don't think yeah. there's any one discipline you can get into filmmaking where you don't have to know everything else. It's like, true, yeah. It definitely makes it better. And it actually brings up an interesting question. Um, we were talking to Rick Garbett, who's an instructor at SAIT mm -hmm. last year, and he said, SAIT isn't in the, or the industry doesn't need, and SAIT isn't in the business of training generalists. It's in the business of making specialists, which I thought was an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with him, and I'm still kind of torn on it. I what think, do you think? Because you are a specialist uh -huh. who needs a little bit of generalist knowledge. So what do you think about that philosophy? I think what he considers a generalist is different than what I would consider to be a generalist. I think a generalist is someone who their primary focus is making their own work and they're trying to do every single job on set right. as opposed to a specialist that understands other departments. Um, so in that sense, I think he's just saying that they're not trying to churn out someone that does like the the whole like YouTube thing, yeah. really. Um, yeah, th and that's where I think it's going. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas they're trying to churn out people that know, at the very least, they focus on one discipline and they know something about all the other yeah. disciplines. Which I think so. is critical, like we talked about, right? It's important mm -hmm. to know what everyone else is doing on a set. Mm -hmm. um, but there is there is value certainly in coming out and being able to say I am a sound mixer or mm -hmm. I can be a boom op out of state because I I specialized in it and I know how to do that. Yeah, you're you're more hireable right out of state with way those more skills, hireable. right? Yeah, because people want to know. And I mean, I got this question all the time when I was graduating. Say, like, if I talked to Mike Peterson, if I talked to like Spencer Ousterbrooks or whatever, they would always be like, "Oh, so what do you want to do?" Because they want to know, um, like, okay. You start off, you're plucky, you got a great attitude, you got a lot of energy, you are willing to pay your dues and do anything you can to get in the industry. And mm -hmm. people want to know how, and don't take this the wrong way when I use this word, but they want to know how to exploit you. They yeah. want to know how yeah. to get the most out of you to you know, do good work. Mm -hmm. And if you tell them, I sort of do a little bit of everything. They don't know what the hell to do with yeah, you. Right, they don't right. know who, like what contacts to give you. They don't know whether or not they can use you in the production that you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. They just don't know. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to let other people decide where you're going to go in the industry. Like sometimes you'll be presented with opportunities and it's a good idea to say yes to pretty much all of them when you're just starting out. Right. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to depend on other people to sort of like let something fall in your lap. You right, got right. to do that. I think to, to counter that point, it's also interesting how quickly you can get pigeonholed in this industry oh for sure yeah. and this is exactly what happened with you and i because mm -hmm. i had you we had you on hardwood and you were recording mm -hmm. and henceforth i think of alex mitchell as a the sound, sound guy yeah. a sound mixer um and it's not it wasn't until later that i found out that you're you're working with cuff mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. i was and also we'll, we'll get into that and and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you're a director and, and a screenwriter and so um it's just it's just an interesting challenge to position yourself in this industry to get where you want to go without yeah. pigeonholing yourself to get work mm -hmm. that pushes you down another path that you might not necessarily love. Do yeah. you feel like that happened to you at all that you got pigeonholed in a way that you didn't want to? Not really? Okay. No, because I mean, a lot of people that know me and oh my God, this is going to be me like really 
doing my best to be modest about it. But a lot of people that know me know that I love a lot of different parts of filmmaking and that I'm able to solve a lot of creative problems with like technical solutions. Um, and so I never really felt like I got pigeonholed as a sound mixer as much as I got pigeonholed into the being the guy that can help you out when you're in a bind, which right. is exactly almost kind of what I wanted to do when I got out of film school. So um, I've never really felt like that's been a detriment to my work as a director. And also because um, my creative output is dictated very much so by whether or not I feel comfortable with an idea. I don't have to churn out work on a day-to-day -day basis, but I'm always working on something. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've never really felt like it's been to my detriment to be thought of as like a sound mixer or a dit or any of that right. kind of stuff. Great. Yeah. So um, you're, you're getting into mixing and, and you're kind of growing in that, in that field and then you got involved in Cuff. So tell us about Cuff. Oh yeah, so um, oh and that's God. the Calgary Underground Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Calgary the Underground Film Festival and the Calgary <laughs> International Film Festival. So I, I was a huge, huge fan of Calgary Underground and Calgary International. They were showing cool work. Some of my friends were getting screened, like Cam McGowan, and you know, just like a lot of cool people. And uh, I remember going to this one screening that the tech was absolutely horrible. And being a young, full <laughs> of piss and vinegar, I was just, I was hopping mad. I was like, oh, I could do this better. And my apologies to whoever <laughs> or whoever did that showing because I know better now. But I went up to Brenda Lieberman mm. and I said, hey, like, you know, I I feel like I know enough stuff that if you guys ever needed help, I feel like I could really contribute to the overall process of showing films in Calgary. And she sort of, you know, was like, oh, who's this? Who's this fucking kid? Right. Right. Um, but lo and behold, there was a spot that opened up at Calgary Underground Film, or film Festival and they wanted to talk to me about whether or not I wanted to help them show films. And uh, oh, my God, that was such an education. Holy crap. I had <laughs> yeah, yeah. no idea how tricky it was, especially back then, because we were getting stuff on DVD, digital files, oh, beta yeah. cam, HD cam, like all these different formats. And to marshal every single one of those mm -hmm. resources required a lot of preparation and a lot more work than I had previously anticipated. Right. And I loved it. There was like a couple of times where because, I mean, you always learn about yourself when you get to face adversity. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it taught me a lot about, like, the the importance of preparation and, like, making sure that you respect the artist and everything. The first year was a bit of a clusterfuck because, mm -hmm. like, I just, I had no, I had no idea. I'd never been a projectionist at a theater. I'd never done, like, a bunch of the stuff. But, like, you know, you're young. You think you can do pretty much everything. And so, yeah, first year was kind of crazy. Second year was, like, really, really solid. I was kind of in my element. Um, so the opening gala for Calgary Underground Film Festival in 2013, maybe it was 2012, I can't remember, was uh, Giant Hairy Spiders or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it yeah. was Or Big Hairy Monsters, whatever it was. It was one of those films about spiders. And uh, I remember the director gave me a new cut of the film. It had been recolored 45 minutes before oh my God. the screening. So it was a Blu-ray and they hadn't tested it. They oh, burned no. it, but he was adamant that he wanted to show this version of the film. But they hadn't tested the... The disc. They had not tested the disc because he gave it to me like it was still warm, still warm. from oh the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I looked at Brenda and she looked at me and just kind of did like she just shrugged, right? Because I mean, what are you going to do? You yeah. can't tell the filmmaker no. This yeah. is how they want their film shown. Right. So I made a compromise. I said, what we're going to do is I'm going to start playing the Blu-ray, and about 20 seconds after that, I'm going to start playing the HD cam. If there's any problems, if there's a single hiccup, I'm going to press a button and it's going to flip over to the other version. Smart. And you're just going to have to hopefully Suck it that'll up, yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And lo and behold at the climax of the film no. it starts to skip Ugh. and i remember i was sort of like i was doing something because you're in the back room in yeah. the top theater of the globe you can't really see out the window and yeah. i don't know i was by like, this time it's been was, fine right? exactly yeah. i was yeah. like sorting through stuff and it's like five minutes from the end and i hear like an oh from the theater oh, no. I through the window and i like see it moving and then it stops and i just i went over to the side and i pressed the button on the projector to switch inputs and like lo and behold it went to Amazing. five seconds before everything yeah. started skipping wow and um i mean it's just little things like that and right. the the value of redundancy is something that's kind of traveled with me ever since then yeah. like having a plan having a backup plan. backups on your backups backups yeah. on your backups which is something that also is really important yeah. as a dit too which right. is another thing that i've done i would say i do more high-end dit work than i do locations oh really too huh. but and it's yeah. also it's great because you can bring that value anywhere i mean there's there are few people um in the industry and and if you are one of those people you know who you are that, that just come with just a ton of technical knowledge mm. um and there's really no single place for them on a set although there kind of should be like an information officer or something like that <laughs> but they're just so handy to have just there even if they're doing sound or even if they're like uh, a dan olson who's there gripping and just knows everything about codex right um 
so yeah, I think I, I, I don't think you're being immodest when you say that people appreciate that because they do for sure. Um, and we're we're two of them. <laughs> Aw, shucks, you guys. Aww. I didn't realize how much um, DIT stuff you did. Um, and and I don't know if everybody necessarily knows exactly what that is yet, just because well, it's kind of the new role on okay, set. So DIT is a, a nuanced, complicated position that really got its start when we started shooting with the Sony F900, which was an HD cam camera that's really famous for stuff like uh, episode two of Star Wars. Wow. Um, uh, what was that Michael Mann film that had Tom Cruise in it? Help me out. Collateral. Oh, oh yeah. A lot yes, of, yes, a lot yes, of yes. nighttime mm-hmm. exterior stuff was shot with an F900. Right. Um, you know, it was just sort of like the big first, like the Cine Alta. Oh, we were shooting video on 24p. So cinematic. But <laughs> you're shooting onto like a really shitty Kodak. And what you would do to minimize seeing a lot of the crappiness of that Kodak was you would try to get the best picture possible on set. Right. And so you had a dit whose big job was to dial in all the camera settings to your specifications. Mm. Um, they were also in charge of like managing the data and all the other stuff. But I mean, back then we didn't really have on-set loaders the same way that we do now. Um, I mean, if you even look at like the background, um, like the behind the scenes footage from Sin City, you know, they'll just like, they let the tape run. They would put in like a 60 minute tape and they would press record and they just wouldn't stop. Right. And they would like slate, they would do everything they normally would, but they just wouldn't stop. And like, you didn't dump it on set, you handed it post-production and they did all that stuff. Hmm. Um, but now hmm. when we're recording onto cards, you like have to manage the data. Sometimes they want you to render daily. Sometimes they want you to do a color correct still. Um, but. So what does DIT stand for? Digital Information? Digital Image Technician. Image Technician, uh, I've okay. heard some other people, Rick Uke is really trying to push this term forward, and I actually kind of agree with it, is that it's a Director of Imaging Technology. Because mm. it's a really, really important position. Okay, you totally. have to know so much stuff. Um, so for instance, like the big, I think one of the biggest places for DITs after the tape point was to give directors of photography that knew film but didn't know digital um, a way to transpose their process onto these hmm. new cameras. So things like, um, okay, the camera's recording into a 10-bit codec. We're used to having all of these stops of dynamic range. It records into like this really flat or really flat kind of gray looking gross footage that we understand as logarithmic encoding these days. And explaining that to someone is easier said than done right. because it's a very abstract mm-hmm. concept. And then they and see so, the image and they go, ooh. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you have to, like, you temper their expectations. You guide them on how to best expose for that image because exposing for film is very different than exposing for digital. Sure. At the very least, it used to be. It's, right. you know, sort it's of getting, meaning yeah, it is halfway kind of meaning, now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for the longest time, it was the tape thing. And then it was sort of helping people... Um, Uh, I guess, interface with a completely different system. And now it's even more different because there's so much stuff that it can do to increase the production value of a show that you're on. Um, And indie productions have not fully embraced it yet Mm -hmm. because it's one more job that can be done later. Right. Mm. You know, indie productions are always like looking to squeeze a dime out of a nickel and they don't have a cent. And I totally am all on board that because hell or high water, you got to make a film. That's just like what some people are born to do. Um, but if you have someone there, like making sure that that take is good or syncing the sound and rendering out daily so that you can start cutting immediately or, um, doing like an interesting color correct. So, you know, you got that shot the way that you actually want to get that shot. You know, like there's just so many little things that a dit can do to just like give you peace of mind and to help make sure that everything's organized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right on. Cause Sweet. it's, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a race. And is that, is that something that they're training right now anywhere? No, not really. No. And see, no. that's, I would say that's one of the reasons I've done more high end dit work than I've done high end sound work is cause there's just not the same level of competition. Right. Um, there are a couple of really good guys like there's Rick Uke, there's Chooch, there's, um, you know, like uh, Dylan Metacalf on uh, Heartland, Heartland, but there's yeah. not a whole lot of people doing the dit thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say again, too, if you're not really well trained, if you don't know how to do it right, you shouldn't be doing it because right. it's so sketchy yeah. when a bad dit does yeah. it. Because um, I mean, the, the other thing too is when you look at it, like okay, every position on a film set is critical. If one person drops out, you know, it becomes much much harder. And but if it's not critical; they really shouldn't be there. Exactly, yeah. or, or, or you know, depending yeah. on the production. But if you screw up as a dit in your care is the entire production and people think about it as just like oh it's some hard drives it's a couple of hundred bucks <laughs> no everything that you've done up until that point is contained within these mm-hmm. tiny For little sure. platters sure. and if like a if like you bump them wrong it's gone yeah. right. and yeah. so you can't tell me it's not a valuable position and that it's not worth a bit of money because you're trusting someone with everything you've done up until that point it's, it's so funny because it used to be the, that case with film too at least the visuals and we had when yeah. we, we, we had a film exercise at Saint, 
um, in our first year and we we spent weeks prepping for this thing and then we shot it and it was you know stressful as usual and uh, and fun and we all learned something and then uh, the person who was in charge of taking the film out of oh. the mag and putting it into the can uh, lost like the, the spring popped out and the, the spool unreeled it unspooled in, the, in this dark bag that he was working oh. what's and that course, thing in the middle called it's got like a, the core or something the core, the core, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the film yeah. core yeah. film core popped out so he's in this bag for literally hours and he, he's like trying to the get next it. class has the next started. Class has started. He's, he's at the he's back stuck. of class working on it. Yeah, because like when, you, when you're working with film, obviously yeah. you have to work in the dark yeah. or you have a little bag over it. Mm-hmm. And we got the film back and it was ruined. Yeah. And so it was like all all of that work, it just goes onto this piece of film or this card. And that's mm-hmm. everything that you've done is is reliant on this little piece of, that's why yeah. backups on your backups is so Backups on important. your backups, yeah. you know, and like, let's say you got a dit, right? And you guys are all stoked. You finished your day of production. Everything went great. And you're all going to go out for beers afterwards. And this guy leaves the hard drives in the trunk of the car. And for whatever reason, like someone backs into it and the hard drives get destroyed. The car gets stolen. Whatever. You need to have a guy that like makes that his life priority. Yeah. You know, yeah. like brings in at least one of the hard drives with him yeah. to the restaurant. Sure. Like one in the trunk, one in the car. Sure. Or drives home and drops them off in like a locked room before driving back to have sure. beers. Like the little things that we don't even think yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So. Cloud yeah. storage is starting to sound even better yeah, and better no doubt, all the yeah. time. Yeah. It, it is, exactly. See, these yeah. are the kind of redundancies that are so important. Yeah. And again, it's like you can get by without a dit if you have to, I guess. See, again, these are like statements yeah. that I have to preface because I'm basically arguing against paying me to do right, right. But, you know, it's just <laughs> so important to have that extra layer of security mm-hmm. when you can. Mm-hmm. So... So um, let's let's go through some nuts and bolts okay. stuff, um, specifically about the crew in a sound department. Okay. So at the very minimum, and this is kind of more for new filmmakers, what does, let's say you've got a six-man crew, mm-hmm. what does the sound department look like if there's only one person? If on? there's only one person, which is the mainstay of like the most of the work I do, like features, shorts, whatever, it's just me. Um, uh, what it looks like is I'm wearing a bag. I've got a bunch of boxes that have antennas on them. I'm recording into the bag and I usually have a boom and like a bunch of lavaliers that I throw on everybody. Um, so, you know, then I'll be there. I will uh, interface with the did if there's one of those there. I drop off the cards or whatever, but it's just me. It's just me most of the time. So you're booming and mixing. Booming and mixing. Okay. All right. That's a bit of a misnomer because if I'm mixing, that means, all right. You're I actually gotta, writing I, levels and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I, got, I got to step back a little sure. bit because what I'm doing right now is sort of like multi-tracking, which means I'm recording every input at sort of like its optimal input level, but I'm not doing anything really creative. I, I just don't have enough hands to right. like fade you inputs in and yeah. out. Right. Um, so I'm not mixing as much as I'm just like there as a recordist. So that can be problematic in some ways, but yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm offloading that amount of work to the post-production sure. team. Okay. Yeah. And so what if there's two sound crew on set? What does that Great. department Good look question. like? So if there's two people on set, what it looks like is uh, I'm mixing either out of a bag or on a cart. If I can get a cart, you know, one of these days I'll have a cart. <laughs> um, and then I have a boom op that'll do things like wire up the talent. Um, uh, be booming the shots, maybe sort of like spending most of their time on set, keeping an ear out for me to see if there's like any big location changes, if there's any big framing changes, if there's like an actor that's going to be on set early, whatever. They're sort of like my eyes and ears on set. And I'm just making sure all the data is there, all the notes are there for post production. Um, I'm making sure the recorder's sort of like running the way that it should be running, all that stuff. Cool. So, and uh, I don't think I've ever even seen a three person sound. I, I've crew. seen it on Heartland. Yeah, Heartland, yeah exactly. Maybe, yeah. On, on what we would. I guess referred to as a professional set. You know, a, a team would normally be three or four people where you've got the sound mixer, the department, the department head, the key, um, the boom op, maybe another boom op if you've got like a lot of like big scenes, like a Judd Apatow kind of thing where everyone's talking and you got to have lots of booms running. And then you have what's called like a third or a cable puller is not exactly the preferred term because they do a lot more than pulling cables. Sure. Um, and the cable puller third is the one who's like making sure that that um, the wireless is hooked up properly because laving people up is an art. It is a very complicated thing to do. And they know how to do that really well. They know how to work with all the lavalier equipment. Um, they're good at working with actors. Like they've got a great attitude. They can read people. So if, you know, the actor's got like a really good scene, they're bubbly, they're having fun, you know, they're going to be able to converse with them. If they've got like a really heavy scene, they're not going to come up and start talking about whatever at the water cooler. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what that looks like is 
people that boom boom they keep an eye on the, like the pace of the set people that are the thirds are sort of doing like all the other really important jobs and the mixer is sort of like they're making sure to conduct everything they're like sure. an orchestra conductor mm -hmm. kind of cool so we do a, a lot of corporate video and when we when we laugh someone we we can always see the laugh mm -hmm. what's the trick to getting really good sound when you have to hide the laugh okay so this is a complicated question too so um the way that I traditionally do it is, uh, so I use a, a lavalier microphone called the Sanken COS 11D, uh, which is sort of like a standard everyday lavalier. And there are some rubber mounts that you can get. And what I do is I apply a little bit of double-sided adhesive and I usually adhere it to the back of someone's shirt or in between sort of like the layers if it's like a button-up shirt or if they've got a tie, sometimes I put like the little rubber mount inside the tie knot so that the, just the tip of the microphone's kind of poking out a little. Um, there's other stuff too where if like, uh, I guess for like corporate stuff, you're not gonna have to deal with this, but if it's like a really low cut dress on a woman or whatever, but we never see behind them, sometimes I might hide uh, like a lavalier microphone in the hairline. Mm. Um, there's just like a lot of creative ways that you can yeah, put yeah, a microphone yeah. on somebody. Yeah. Basically your only goal is to record the cleanest sound possible while being unseen. Right. right? And that's, you can do that a lot of ways. And those sure. rubber mounts you're talking about are what's preventing any like um, clothing noise rustle, or, or? kind of sort of I mean clothing rustle is going to show up whether you like it or not if it's like a really starched shirt right. or if it's like wool or any of that other stuff I mean I'm sure that there are people that could give me some techniques that would maybe help mitigate those but um, if it's bad material it's bad material the rubber mount is mostly so that I can attach adhesive to the mount as opposed to the microphone uh, right. and it'll sort of keep it in place because if you're attaching adhesive to a microphone and it's like peeling off that's going to make its own noise too right, so you right, just try right. to like keep that microphone isolated because cool. the actual tip of the microphone's exposed a lot of the time unless right. there's like wind in which case i need to get like little itty bitty like furry so yeah so what what are some tips for uh, like a boom op for a boom op yeah. okay all right so i would say big things for boom ops are um you need to know lenses you need to know cameras really well so for instance if you're shooting on like i love the black magic pocket cinema camera and it's a super 16 image circle a 25 mil on that is going to look different than a 25 mil on say like a red epic 8k or mm. something and you need to understand where that edge of frame is and you need to be um like aware of how that's going to affect the sound of the scene because if they want to shoot a wide you're not going to be able to get in there as close and it's going to be like more of a roomier sound which can be good can be bad depends on what the director wants um so that's number one is you need to um know your cameras the other thing you need to remember is that you have to get the microphone as close as possible because like i said back when i was talking about um the location is that the most important things are good location getting the microphone close if you can get a microphone close you're probably going to be able to deal with a lot of other stuff easily enough right. which is why we use lavaliers too sometimes because right, right. they're yeah. the closest microphone so um where was i getting the microphone close knowing your cameras um stuff like handling noise this is something i'm still working on where you have to be very delicate with handling the microphone um, if you are like really gripping the pole with like an iron fist, then you're going to be transmitting a lot of that vibration right. up through the mount into the microphone and mm -hmm. then it's going to show up. On hear that, yeah. So you do have you, to be very careful. Do you do the twist thing? Like if you're, if you've got two people talking, uh, on back yeah, forth, sometimes yeah. I like, usually it depends on the position and the blocking of the scene. If they're far enough away that like the pattern of the microphone would not encompass both people delivering dialogue, right. then I will turn. Hmm. But if they're close enough together, then usually I'll sort of like try to split the difference right. or just move it without rotating it mm -hmm. so. Oh. and so i've we've done some actual handhold booming um sometimes we set it up on a c-stand when we're doing corporate stuff because it's just the two yeah. of us sometimes um but when i boom I, my arms are killing me within five minutes yeah, really quick. how yeah. does one get so strong <laughs> have you guys ever heard the phrase farm strong yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Like okay. it's because like let's say you're a normal guy in the city, you go to you go to work, you have like a lunch break, you maybe go to the gym for like an hour, you go home, you watch Netflix. When dudes are on the farm, they're like lifting hay bales, they're like moving around cows, they're like repairing fences, like all of their day is using their body as a tool. Right. And you develop muscle memory, you develop all that stuff, which is not to say that I'm going to be able to hold the boom in a certain position for like, you know, an indefinite amount of time, but you learn, your body learns little tricks here and there. Mm. But there's other stuff too, like there are workout routines that like boom ops should really do to protect their back and to mm. protect their shoulders and to protect their arms. 
um, there's just sort of like, as opposed to holding the microphone, like the pole completely parallel to the ground, you angle it a little bit so that you can kind of get the leverage of your body to do some of the work. Um, there's just like knowing how low it needs to go. So if you can get it sort of right on the edge of frame and it like allows you to relax with your elbows bent as opposed to having them like completely straight out, that's another important thing. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to like muscle memory Technique and getting and used to it. Yeah, too. okay. Yeah, cool. Right on. So what about the writer director side of you? Are you, are you working on anything in that? I am or actually, I have like a bunch of stuff that I always sort of like have on the go. I've got like three projects that I really want to do. Um, I've always really wanted to do something that's a mix between a film noir and like a, like a, like an Asian ghost story, kind of like Ringu or the grudge or something like that, but set inside like a small town, Alberta strip club. There's this one really haunted strip club that's in Edson or whatever. <laughs> and I'm it, like, I'm sounding like I'm really excited talking about this, but like a couple of people have died there. Like oh, there was no. a couple of people that committed suicide. Oh God, there was wow. one person that was murdered and apparently you can hear them like moving around in there. Whoa. And I always thought it would be sort of like, um, interesting to do something that was like, trying to figure out who done it while also dealing with the supernatural element because I love The Ring. It's like really good. And I love a lot of film noirs too. Like Brick is an amazing Brick's film amazing, noir. Yeah. yeah, like or yeah. or even like Big Lebowski, I think is a great film noir, although yeah. it's different. It's a different kind of great. Yeah. Um, then there's, I'm still like kicking around reproduction is like the feature length, but I, I still don't really know how to approach that properly because I don't know if that format works in a feature. So there's a story there, but I don't know exactly how to tell it. And then um, the one that I'm trying to get funding for right now and sort of working on AFA, Canada Council, Bravo Fact, all that stuff is um, called Curse of the Video Game Merchant, which is sort of like an episode of Goosebumps slash Are You Afraid of the Dark nice. kind of thing. Um, but about this guy who really, really wants to quit his day job but can't because the store that he's working at is cursed. Like anyone <laughs> that, di that quits dies. dies. <laughs> and so he needs to figure out a way to work around the curse. Interesting. Like cool. Hijinks yeah. ensues. Right. Cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. Right on. That's great. So, but yeah, like I, I, I love making movies and I got into the industry to make movies yeah. and I've, I've found out that I love a lot more stuff than that, but I'm always going to come back to making sure that I write and direct, but I, I don't make as much work as a lot of people because, um, and maybe this isn't the right attitude to have, maybe it is, but uh, I believe that like filmmaking is a lot like weightlifting in this day and age where if you do it wrong, you can really mess yourself up right. and you right. can, you can destroy relationships. Oh, yeah. You can make a bad name for yourself. You can lose opportunities that you would mm -hmm. otherwise get. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just really cautious about my creative output. I think patience ha plays a lot in that. I think we're, we're at an age now with millennials um, and Gen Y and all those terms where, <laughs> yeah. where people just don't have the patience. That they used to, mm -hmm. right? A director is usually in his or her forties, mm -hmm. right? It's kind yeah. of when they're at the top of their game. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's people graduating from state that that need to be directing right now, yeah. even mm -hmm. though they're mm -hmm. twenty. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to consider too: is that it's okay to be patient and it's okay to kind of live a life and learn stories before you're hitting your stride in that. Yeah, right. I mean, like people like Xavier. Dolan, I don't want to talk about them because what do you say, like nineteen or something? Oh, he, yeah, know, he it? was. He, he was a child actor, wasn't he? Yeah. And so he just had act, and you find this a lot too with models that turn into photographers is that they are able to tap into a uh, side of the industry that sort of like helps them coalesce as a creative because they just have more opportunity. Right. And it would be the same thing if you're like, um, you know in the right demographic quote unquote to be a filmmaker i mean you guys talked about this before we started recording where like the majority of people making films in the western hemisphere are uh like white men who are traditionally coming from like middle slash middle upper class backgrounds True. and all that other stuff too yeah. but yeah i think it's like even if even if you don't have those benefits behind you, it's still just really important to be like habit forming, like always being creative, always doing yeah, something, right. but like just being really cautious about your output too and being careful to like target it in smart ways. Yeah. That's part of the secret of this podcast too, is that we're creating something and putting it out there and obviously celebrating, but it's it's also putting something out there which we haven't done a lot of recently because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and so I, I actually feature i probably should clarify my previous statement too because when i say um like the, the right demographic for filmmakers i just mean that um you know when you have a lot of the benefits of like let's say coming from a middle upper class background as a technician i've found that there are a lot of dry spells and if mm, you are yeah. coming from a place where you don't have to take day work for like a month or whatever because you have enough saved up then it's going to be easier for you to make it long run in the industry than if you are 
um, perhaps coming from a less privileged background right. where you're living paycheck to paycheck and not having work for two or three weeks can really just like throw you for a complete loop. Totally. Right? So one thing we've just started doing on the podcast, I don't know if you've even heard it, is recommendations. Right. Um, and we've never asked a guest for a recommendation, but keeping in mind that our audience is maybe like students or maybe sound people like who, who are to, interested. Who to interview for the show, you mean? Or? No, no, recommendations for like uh, either software or like oh, just something okay. to watch or listen to. Um, what would, what, right now, what's, right what's now, something what, that you're oh into? Um, so I guess it's like, there's, I'll, I'll give a couple answers. Sure, yeah, yeah, There's yeah, a sure. couple of things that I could recommend for. Uh, the first thing I would recommend uh, as like a creative because I'm so in love with this podcast is uh, uh, every frame of painting mm, he's yes. so thoughtful he's great oh yeah. my god like ev like the buster keaton episode is amazing or like the, he just recently released this one on how to stage for like uh ensemble cast mm. just like little stuff that people don't really think yeah, about yeah um so yeah i'd say that's really important if you want to be like more present about your craft that's like a good place to start and then there's like a bunch of other podcasts that are really similar that also work like filmmaker iq or whatever it's a podcast um, too I i've only seen the video series that i, I guess like vodcast like oh, what, okay, what do you right. call like a video podcast? it's a, okay video podcast. okay yeah, yeah. Sure. so it's a video podcast i guess that comes out whenever he feels like yeah releasing them. yeah um as far as location sound recording goes there are a lot of resources for people um the first thing i would do is go to what's called jw sound.net.com let me look this up really quick it's called jw sound because um the guy that runs the board is called is jeff rexler who is haskell rexler's son he's oh. a location sound recorder. Yeah. unfortunately haskell rexler having passed away the little bit you know we, we feel really bad for him um but he seems to be doing well and he runs an amazing an amazing board full of sound mixers with lots of really good advice let me huh. pull this up because i've got tons is this it here JW Sound, yeah, that's yeah. the one. So that was jwsound.net. We'll, yeah. we'll have that in the show notes. And so well. there is there's a really terrific forum there where you can ask tons of questions. Now I should mention that I, there's the stereotype of like the super salty, like really curmudgeonly sound mixer, and you are going to get some of those types. There's sure. a guy on there that's very like, and bless his soul, I love Rick Garbett, but there's a guy on there who's like very much so. If you ask a question, the response will be it depends. Right. You know, right. and you'll get some of those guys. You'll get guys that are sort of like they understand what you're really asking and they'll sort of guide you to the right answers but be prepared to have to really sort of like fight for good information <laughs> it's, it's um, one of those situations where you're like help my sound is all messed up how do i fix it no, like you should have got good sound in the first yeah, place exactly. it's like yeah, thanks yeah, for yeah, being yeah. so unhelpful oh my god yeah, and like sure. the the old version of that was like oh my pc's got viruses and of course the mac guys are like just go to mac, just go to mac. Right, like, right. Oh, you're not yeah, helping that's, me that's yeah. really helpful <laughs> i know what i'll do to solve this problem yeah. at least just buy perfect yeah um but there's also the like the DVX user, uh, dpinfo.net, red user has like an audio forum. All mm. of these places have audio forums. So any of the places you normally go, you can check for like good tips and tricks. Um, what else is really good? DVX user actually have Barry Green. This is back in like the DVX 100 days, back like a long time ago when we used to shoot on mini DV. Yeah. Barry Green was like the big poster on there and he did a DVD with a bunch of people that was like how to get good location sound. And it was really, really solid. And I think it is still available. It might be an on-demand download thing or you might just have to buy the disc, but I completely recommend it. It's mm. like probably the best four-hour film school that you will ever get for location wow, sound recording because cool. yeah. again i it is possible to get very granular with like sampling rates and bit depth and sure. time code and all that other stuff but if you can nail the basics of getting a good location and getting the microphone close you're going to be doing better than 99 percent of people out there and that dvd covers like those kinds of things and also some other stuff too but that's where i would start is just like the basics mm -hmm. yeah. cool cool right. yeah and where where can we send people to follow you on Twitter? You're oh, you've got a little company, right? Yeah, I've, I, so I operate under DCPI Film Services, right, right. which I can't remember if I even have. Like, I do have a Twitter account, but I don't really pay that much attention <laughs> to it, and Instagram as well. Right. Um, I would say if anyone needs to reach out to me or anything like that, my website's just dcpi.ca. Cool. That's Delta Charlie Papa Indigo because <laughs> sometimes B shows up there. Right. Um, and then yeah, you know, like I'm just a friendly guy, I'm willing to like help people out if they got questions For and sure. everything. I mean, we, we post all the time on Facebook. There's like the camera pimps user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JW Sound. I'm always on there. Mm -hmm. um, same with like the freelance uh, Facebook sound recordist group is there too. So yeah, awesome. Right on. Well, thanks, man. Thanks oh, for being here. No that worries. was great. Is that already an hour? Yeah, yeah. Was we're an over hour, an hour, hour four. Yeah. Damn, son. Uh, but you're the best. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate you uh, letting me represent the, you know, the technicians. It's about time.
That was the incomparable Alex Mitchell. Thanks again for being here, Alex. Really appreciate it. And hey, thank you for listening to the show. Sorry for the abbreviated episode. Obviously, things are a little crazy in the full swing world. Getting ready for a big shoot tomorrow morning. Just wanted to throw down a quick recommendation. Scott's not here, unfortunately. He's getting some sleep. I'm about to do the same. But uh, I'm going to get this out tonight, and hopefully we'll have it uh, available for you on Monday. But I want to throw out the recommendation, which you've heard a million times already. It's Making a Murderer. If you somehow have missed this show, or if you've missed the thousands of social media posts, or all of your friends saying you need to go and watch it, you do. I recommended The Jinx for 2015. This is a true crime series that cannot be missed. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Give us five stars on iTunes. Shoot us an email. AB Filmcast on Twitter and Facebook. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody, and go make something.